Welcome to our podcast here at Trinity West Church. We believe that you will be enriched by today's message. Let's open our hearts to receive God's Word. John chapter number 3. I need to apologize in advance. Uh, For the last couple of days I've been dealing with a sore throat. And so my voice just kind of cuts in and out. It's a little raspy today, although it might sound cool to you. So I actually may sound better. I just may, it may be improvement upon my usual voice, a little rasp to it. So I may sound a little more hip today. So that's awesome. So that'd be great. Uh, But if I cough or whatever, it's just with what I'm dealing with. Listen, next week, we're going to take communion together. So it's going to be a great service. But also, I want to preach a message next week to parents, grandparents, to one-day parents, would-be parents. I want to preach a message on parenting today. Three things every parent needs to give their child. So don't miss next week. We're going to have a great service next week. Today, I'm simply going to preach a message to you today called, What is Salvation? What is Salvation? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 5 says this. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Let me say it again. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Paul is writing this to a church, a group of believers in Corinth who are gathered together reading this letter. And as they're reading the letter, they hear these words. Examine yourself. See whether or not you're in the faith. If I was to ask you what is salvation, or how would you describe salvation if you were to describe it to somebody else, what would you say? What would you say in response to the question, what is salvation? A lot of people can't actually put it into words, although you could say that that is perhaps one of the most important questions anyone could ever be asked or be able to answer. What is salvation? And so we're going to look today at, at, at a guy that heard words that you might think were said someplace else. But if I was, if I was to say to you, what is the most popular verse in the Bible, most everybody here would say John 3.16. Probably all of you would say, Pastor, absolutely, the most popular. Uh, when you're even talking to somebody about the answer to the question, what is salvation, many of you would perhaps quote it or, or read John 3.16. But you might find it interesting to note that John 3.16 was not spoken during a sermon. Jesus didn't say it during a sermon on the mount. He didn't say it when he was teaching on a hillside. He didn't even say it to a group of his own disciples. Jesus actually said John 3.16 to an individual, just to one person, in a one-on-one conversation he had with a man by the name of Nicodemus. So let's look at that conversation today, and it starts in John chapter 3 and verse number 1. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Let's stop 
right there for just a minute. There's a couple things you need to know, even in those two verses, that lead you to discovering why Jesus gave the response that he give, gave. First of all, it says that this man came to Jesus by night. He was a Pharisee. He was a man of status. He was a man of some importance in the community. He was a religious leader. People looked to him for leadership. They looked to him for wisdom. And in his seeking and in his looking to answers, or trying to find answers, he recognizes Jesus as someone who has answers, someone who, who is able to do miracles, all these different things. But instead of coming to him in the broad daylight where everyone could see, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And he says to Jesus, Rabbi, I know that you are a teacher, listen to this, who has come from God. For no one can do the things that you do, the signs that you do, unless God was with him. And so Jesus bypasses Nicodemus's half-hearted attempt at a compliment and says to Nicodemus these words, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And you say, well, maybe it was late at night. Jesus just didn't feel like getting into it. He just went right to the core of the matter. I know this. Jesus knew Nicodemus' heart, and he knew that for this man to come to me at night means there is still something inside of him that was holding back. Something was still reserved about Nicodemus. He did not want anyone to see him coming to Jesus. And Jesus says to this man who's trying to come to him in secret, you must be born again. This was Jesus' response to him. He didn't acknowledge the, the half-hearted attempt. He didn't say anything about what Nicodemus said. He just really got to the core of Nicodemus' life. You must be born again, Nicodemus. And then Nicodemus' response back to him in verse number four is this. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's room, womb and be born? And I used to read that and I thought, man, does this guy even know anything about biology? Does this guy know anything about how things work? But let's give him some credit. This was an educated man. This was an intelligent man. Jesus knows exactly what he means when he says the words, can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb? What he's actually saying is, is Jesus, I've worked all my life to get to this point, to get to this status, to acquire everything that I've acquired and what you're telling me by saying you must be born again is I have to lay it all down. Is that really possible at my age and my point in my life? Is it really possible for me to start over again? Because for something to be born again means there has to be a death. For there to be a rebirth, there has to be a death. So he's saying to Nicodemus, you have to die and be born again. Nicodemus says, is that even possible? 
How can I start over? How can I lay it down? How can I forget everything that I've ever known, walk away from everything I've ever tried to gain? How can I walk away from it all? And Jesus says to him in verse 5, Most assuredly I say to you that unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, Jesus is saying it has to be supernatural. It's nothing that you earn. It's nothing that you do on your own. You can't figure it out with your mind. It is the work of the Spirit. He says that which is born of, of, of water, you have to be born of the water and of the Spirit. So the water is the natural birth because he said that which is born of flesh is flesh. But then he says you have to be also born of the Spirit because that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So there has to be a rebirth. So Nicodemus is saying, are you serious? I have to lay down everything. Yes, Jesus says, I'm serious. You have to lay down everything. It all has to go. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. We have to think about this for just a moment. This was a man who was an educated man, but also a religious man. This was a man who went to church every week. This was a man who memorized scriptures. He memorized, as a Pharisee, you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. You had to memorize the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, first five books. You know those small little books that only have a couple chapters? You know those? He had to memorize those, right? And he had to fast twice a week to be a Pharisee, which I'm sure all of you do, so that's, you know, easy. And then he also had to pay his tithe. Listen to this. Jesus said to a church-going, Bible-memorizing, fasting tither, you must be born again. What you're doing is not good enough. You must be born again. Now, before I tell you what salvation is, at least what I believe salvation is, let me just tell you what salvation is not. Number one, salvation is not a religious awakening. I don't believe that Nicodemus was insincere. I believe he was an earnest seeker. He wasn't just trying to give Jesus lip service only. I think he was really genuinely seeking for some answers in his life. There was inside of Nicodemus this religious awakening. He saw miracles. He heard incredible teaching. And something inside of him hungered for more. Jesus said that's not good enough. Salvation is not just some religious awakening. Listen, we come into a service like this, it's not difficult to come into this kind of atmosphere and to feel something. It's not difficult in this kind of atmosphere that you come in and we worship God. It's not difficult to be emotional. It's not difficult even to give God great compliments, great Nicodemus-style compliments. That's not difficult at all. But that's not what God asks of us. It's not what he demands of us. He's not looking for compliments. He's not looking for feelings. He's not looking for emotions. He is looking for worship. That's what he's looking for. And nothing else will satisfy him except we lay down our life and we worship him. That's what he asks of us. In fact, that's what he demands of us. And that's what salvation is. It's not just some religious awakening. 
Nicodemus felt this pull towards Jesus. Many people feel a pull. They say, well, you know, Pastor, I really have felt closer to God. Well, that's great. But is that salvation? It's not just you coming alive spiritually, or I should say, you're just having this awakening, and suddenly I feel that I need to get closer to God. That is an incredible start. That is, that is where everybody needs to be at some point in their life. But you can't stop there. That's just the beginning. That's just God planting a seed in your life. There has to be a follow-up to that. So Jesus didn't chastise Nicodemus. He didn't say, hey, you're doing it all wrong. He just said, hey, there's more. Salvation is more than you just coming and paying homage to me. That's not, that's not it. Let me tell you what else salvation is not. Salvation is not a self-help program. Salvation is not some gym membership where you're just going to add this to your life and try to go get in shape. That's not what salvation is. In fact, if you look at the scriptures, salvation really is the exact opposite of self-help. Salvation is self-denial. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said this. He said, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's not self-help. It's self-denial. It's not promoting yourself. It's denying yourself. I challenged myself several years ago to, to never post anything that was just about me. Never make any post all about me. So, you know, I've preached on selfies and stuff like that, but I just, years ago, I challenged myself, hey, never, never post it. So I go to, I go to post something, and I, I ask myself, is this all about me? Am I just trying to get attention for me? And so I've challenged myself a couple years ago to do that. I said, all of my posts I just want to make about my family or my church or staff or just giving thanks, just something, something other than me. And I remember after challenging myself, which I encourage all of you to do, because I'm friends with some of you. Anyway, go. So, <laughs> so, so, anyhow, moving right along. So I, I remember in my life I hit a milestone. I won't tell you what it is, but I hit this milestone that I was impressed. So I, I thought, this is, this is great. I hit a milestone. Nothing with my family. It was just a personal milestone in my life. And I thought to myself, I remember the day that I hit it, I said to myself, I, I just want to post this because... I think people are going to really enjoy hearing about me. And so I said, I said, I want to post this, and I, I know that people are going to congratulate me, and it's going to get a lot of likes, and this is going to be great. And so I remember the day that it happened. I mean, it was this big event in my life, and, I, and God just said, no, don't do it. And all day I just kind of wrestled with it. Well, maybe, you know, I'll, I'll give God a lot of glory in the midst of it. You know, I'll say, thanks be to God for what he did through me. It's all about Facebook me. So I said, so all day I was wrestling with it. And finally, I just let it go. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to let it go. Because nobody knew, except Cynthia, that nobody knew that this day was coming. I, I, wasn't, I didn't tell anybody. Nobody knew. It was just for me. And I let the day go. And then here's what happened. I let it go. And then I was so impressed with myself and how awesome I was for letting it go <laughs> and how humble I was that God had to deal with me then for thinking I'm so awesome because I let it go. 
You see, that's the battle that we face with self. We get it on all levels. And so listen, salvation is not self-help, it's self-denial. It is laying down your life, not promoting your life. Here's what salvation really is. Salvation is the complete and total surrender of your life to Jesus Christ. Let me just say it again. It is the complete and total surrender of your life to Jesus Christ. It means that he is absolutely 100% in control. It doesn't mean you're perfect. doesn't mean you never sin. doesn't mean you never make a mistake. It is just you have given control of your life over to Christ. And I want to give you this example. Because I heard this years ago as a teenager, and it has just stuck with me for years and years. man came to our church years ago and preached the message, and, and as he was preaching, he told this story about him driving in the car, and he was just driving and having a good time. There was nobody else in the car, and he was just thanking God for being in the car with him. You know, he's just driving, sitting behind the steering wheel, just thanking God. God, I just thank you that you're in the car with me. I just thank you. And it was as if God said back to him, yes, I'm in the car, but I'm not driving. You're the one behind the wheel. And he began to get convicted, and he said, God, you're right, you know. Here I am making all the decisions for myself. You know what? God, you belong behind this wheel. So he had this conversation with God, and he began to talk to God. Okay, God, you're right. I tell you what, I'm going to put you behind the wheel and I'm just going to get over here in the front seat, the passenger side. And he said, God spoke back to him, no, 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 you can't be in the front seat. If you're in the front seat, you can grab the wheel. You could take control back at any time. He said, okay, God, if you don't want me in the front seat, that's fine. I'll just go to the back seat. And God said back to him, you ever heard of a back seat driver? And he said, God, if you don't want me in the front seat and you don't want me in the back seat, then where am I supposed to sit? And he said, as if God said, why don't you pull the car over? So in his mind, he pulled the car over. God said, get out of the car and walk to the back. And they walked to the back and God points at the trunk of the car. And he says, God, are you serious? Are you serious? You want me in the trunk of the car? And God said, that's the only place you can't grab the wheel. It's the only place you can't tell me what to do. It's the only place you can't take control. And so he took a breath and he said to himself, God, you're right. I told you that I wanted you to have control over my life. And I meant it when I said it. And I'll gladly get in the trunk of this car. And he said, it's as if God opened the trunk of the car and he climbed in. God shut the trunk of the car. And a few minutes went by. And suddenly he said, it's as if God opened the trunk of the car and said, hey, I was just seeing if you're willing. Now you get behind the wheel and I'll tell you where to go. Now listen, that's a picture of salvation. Salvation is giving over complete and total control of your life to Christ. 
It is saying, God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I will lay my life down. I'll get in the trunk of the car. And once he sees that you do it, then he says, yeah, now you get behind the wheel because I can trust you now. Now I'll tell you where to go. Hey, if God, if you want me to turn right, I'll turn right. Lord, if you want me to turn left, I'll turn left. Lord, if you want me to speed up, if I'm going too slow and I need to accelerate the pace of my life, then, God, I'll speed up. Lord, you want me to slow down? I'll slow down. Lord, you're telling me to stop this relationship, stop this decision? Lord, I'll stop. I'll do whatever it is you're telling me to do. That is giving God control. That is what salvation is all about. Now you say, well, pastor, how, how extreme do we go on this? I mean, if I'm sitting at an intersection and I'm hungry and there's there, it's Chick-fil-A or it's Burger King, do I need to pray and say, God, now you're just going to steer this car into one of these restaurants and figure out which one? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, that listen, if you're hungry, you get to pick the restaurant most of the time. I mean, you know, listen, I'll help you with that one anyway. Chick-fil-A all the way. I mean, seriously, right? Burger King, forget it. So... I'm not saying that God, you know, Lord, should I wear the pink shoes today or the, you know, no. What I'm saying is the major decisions of your life, you give him total, complete control. Lord, I'm laying down my life. I want you to be in control. I want you to make these decisions. That's what salvation really is. You really never hear from Nicodemus much again. I don't know what happened to him. You hear about him only two other times in the book of John. He's there in John chapter 19 when Jesus is being buried. But listen to this. He's also in John chapter 7. The Pharisees had gathered to find out what they are going to do about Jesus. And Nicodemus actually spends a moment defending Jesus. And they chastise Nicodemus for it. But listen to me. Even though he defended Jesus... He was still a Pharisee. And after this incredible conversation, this encounter with Jesus, this one-on-one -on -one conversation where Jesus says to him, you must be born again, where Jesus says to him that God so loved everyone, the whole world, that he gave his only begotten son, where Jesus tells him all this stuff, Nicodemus still walked away and remained a Pharisee. You say, why is that? The only thing I can think of is he put too much focus on what he had to lose and not enough focus on what he had to gain. Remember that scripture I read a moment ago from Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus said, you must take up your cross daily? Right after that, he also says these words, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? If we're concentrating on what we have to lose to follow Christ, we'll never follow Christ. But if we focus on what we gain, sure, Nicodemus would have lost his status as a Pharisee. He would have lost being a religious leader. He would have lost people looking to him for answers and all of the things that came with that kind of religiosity. He would have lost it all. He would have been excommunicated from the temple excommunicated from society, but he had the opportunity to follow Jesus. He had the opportunity to be a disciple. 
He had the opportunity to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. He had the opportunity to be in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell. He had the opportunity to be there when Peter's shadow was healing the sick, when Paul was converted. He had all these opportunities. And he walked away from them simply because he was not willing to give complete and total control of his life to Christ. That's salvation. But he also walked away from spending eternity with God. Eternity. Now let me just ask you today, and go back to the first scripture that we shared just a moment ago. In 2 Corinthians 13, Paul wrote this, but let a man examine himself. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. So ask yourself this question. It's a real simple question. Have I given total and complete control over my life to Christ? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment this morning? If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I've made some decisions. There's been a hunger in me. I've had some experiences in my life. I'm drawn towards Christ. I get emotional during worship time. I have feelings. I'm here to tell you that's fantastic. That's awesome. I'm your biggest fan with that. But that's not salvation. That only leads to salvation. If you've never made the decision to say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life and I surrender control of my life to you, no longer will I make these decisions. Now I ask for you to take over my life. I need you to come into my life. I need you to forgive me of my sin. And from here on out, you are in control. Help me, lead me, guide me. If you've never made that decision, today's a great day to do it. Listen, don't leave it to chance. You don't have to wait for the next altar call. You don't have to wait for the next crisis. You don't have to wait for the next miles. You don't have to wait for any of that. Today, right now, you can make things right with God. It'd be a great day to do it. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, just for a moment of privacy between you and God, if you were to say, Pastor, that's me today. I need to do that. I need to surrender my life to Christ to ask Jesus to come into my heart, to be my Lord and to be my Savior. To take over and to take control of my life. I'm not trying to just get help. I really am surrendering today. If that's you, would you do this for me today? Would you let me pray and lead you in a, a, a prayer? of surrender to God. Right where you're sitting, would you just raise your...